Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Today, we're going to be continuing our autism podcast series, and we're going to talk about two things that I get so many questions about at Teach Me to Talk, and that's addressing jargon and echolalia. Now, both of these things, jargon and echolalia, are listed as types of repetitive speech found in the autism diagnosis and that official criteria. But interestingly, And what the conundrum is for SLPs or speech language pathologists like me is that both of those are also part of typical language development. So how do we discern what's typical and what's not typical? And then when it's not typical or atypical, what do we do about it? How can we address these things? And so that's the purpose of today's show. Now, if you have just joined me in the middle of this autism podcast series, this is actually, I think, the 11th or 12th show in this series. So you're going to want to go back and listen to those previous or watch those previous shows and you can find out all the information about that in the post below. If you happen to be listening on your podcast app, you can just go to my website at Teach Me to Talk and get all that information. And one more bit of important advice before we get started. If you're a therapist, don't let your continuing education credit be lost for listening to the show. You can actually get an hour of CE credit for only five bucks at Teach Me to Talk. And again, this is show 413. So if you are listening on the podcast app and aren't watching or aren't reading the YouTube posting there, just go to Teach Me to Talk, the ASHA courses page, and find out all the information there for getting your credit for not only this show, but all the other podcasts that you've listened to from Teach Me to Talk. So don't leave that on the table. All right. And you can also find the written information uh, from this show in two different places. First of all, if you purchase the CE credit, you'll get all the written summary here uh, in a handout, a one-page handout, or this is all from my latest treatment uh, manual, the Autism Workbook, Developing Speech Therapy Treatment Plans for Toddlers and Preschoolers with ASD. So be sure to check that out too. All right, so let's talk about jargon and echolalia in the typical sense first. What is it? So let's just define it before we, uh, as we get started this morning. So jargon occurs when a child speaks in long, unintelligible strings. Now we see this in typical development when? When a child is usually trying to make that leap from words to phrases. So we typically see jargon peak at 18 to 24 months. And if you are an SLP, you'll recognize that as the time when most children have their language explosion and when most children do begin to combine the words that they typically use spontaneously or on their own from their single word vocabularies. They combine those words into phrases. They're not imitating those phrases. They're they're truly generating those phrases. And again, that typically happens between 18 months 24 months. And for lots of kids, even those with typical language development, they are trying to get that length 
because they hear you as their parent or as their therapist or another adult language model talking in sentences and paragraphs. And so they are trying so hard to get that length, but they don't have the vocabulary to support that yet. They don't have the filler words like articles and conjunctions. They don't have lots of different descriptors. And when kids first start to combine words, we know that their vocabularies are just about 35 to 50 words. So they fill in with sounds. And so that really differentiates jargon in typical language development versus atypical language development. Because in typical language development with jargon, we also hear true words. So you'll hear something, you know, jargon, 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 mama. Or something like Luke, you know, which might be a child's uh, sibling's name, Luke, da 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 da, whatever their jargon happens to be. But you're recognizing single words in the middle of that. So that's always a factor with what's typical jargon in language development versus atypical. All right, so that is jargon. I think I've told some, and let me say too, a lot of times parents will email me and say, it sounds like my child is speaking a foreign language. <laughs> and so, for, and a lot of times uh, bilingual or trilingual families are really concerned about that because they'll hear a lot of jargon at the beginning. And I'll say, do you hear some true words mixed in? When they say yes, you know that that, again, is where that child is just trying to get that length. And that is part of, of typical language development. And we're going to talk about the atypical things in just a minute. So hold on to the typical things and let's move on and talk about the second part of this, which is echolalia. So what is echolalia? Echolalia means that a child repeats verbatim, exactly. He copies the words, phrases, sentences, or paragraphs, monologues, <laughs> that he's heard from books, that he's heard from movies, and a lot of early literature about echolalia in autism talked to, called it movie talk because that's where uh, we first, uh, or researchers or professionals first recognized echolalia. He's echoing what he's heard from a movie or from a show, or it might also be from what he's heard someone say in person. And echolalia also has two different or two different distinct types. It could be immediate echolalia that a child repeats it's something he's heard just as soon as he's heard it, or it can be delayed in that later when a child has watched a movie or you've read him a book, you'll hear him quote the book later. He might say the phrases from it, ba la la la, or something like, to infinity and beyond from Toy Story uh, with Buzz Lightyear. Or you might just hear Again, something that you've you've said over and over and over to him, like a direction or uh, something that a parent used to say to a child that I treated years ago, instead of telling him no, because he would get so upset and fall apart with that, she would say, not today, buddy. And so consequently, when he saw something that he didn't think that his mom was going to allow him to do, that's what he would say, not today, buddy, because he was rewinding or rehearsing that experience. So those are two different types of echolalia. Now let's talk about echolalia in typical language development. Now some of you as SLPs may be saying, wait a minute, there's no echolalia in typical language development, but there really is because it's imitation and we want imitation. We need <laughs> imitation. That's how we learn everything, including language. And so when we think about echolalia as just excessive imitation or imitation that we have it 
asked for or requested. And we know that kids, especially kids who are really, really verbal, one of the things we like to do as parents is really show that off. So when a kid has memorized a song or memorized a book, we might ask him to repeat that or tell grandma what uh your favorite part from whatever the show is and you'll have him say his little part from that and that's completely different because you are that that is that is communicative in that you've made a request he's saying that back to you and he's also looking for your feedback he's anticipating your feedback it isn't just an internally directed activity and when echolalia is atypical that's what it is is self-stimulatory and so a child says those things not directly to another person or not because another person his mom hasn't said hey can you sing the abc song it's not like that they just do it on their own and there's little context for it and so we're going to get into that in a second i'm jumping ahead of myself as usual but that's really how you differentiate. So when, when a therapist says there's no echolalia in typical language development, that's not really true either because we depend on that. We want children to be able to imitate us. It's just when that is solely what they're doing and we don't see much spontaneous language outside of that, that's when we get concerned. Now let's talk about when we typically see this uh, repetition or echolalia in typical language development and that peaks at about 30 months. And so as an SLP, I want you to do the same thing and walk through this with me like we did for jargon. Why do you think echolalia peaks at about 30 months? Well, that's because <laughs> they've gotten the length part. Remember, we talked about that with jargon, that when kids are between 18 months or so and they in typical development, they start to want to combine words into phrases and even small sentences, but they don't have the vocabulary yet, so they fill in with blah, blah. With echolalia, they actually have the words because, and their speech is sometimes so clear that you can understand every single piece of that. But again, when uh, they're about two and a half, their language has exploded to the point, remember we talked about that, it happens between 18 and 24 months in typical development, so that they do have a lot of those other words. And then by two and a half, they don't have to really depend on what they've heard from a movie or what they've heard mom or dad say or what they've lifted from a book or some other, some other a teacher maybe, what they've lifted from that. They don't have to do that anymore because now they have all those words that they can put together those more complex sentences and they don't have to practice to get that length anymore, which I think is what echolalia is. And two, again, because some of that performance piece I mean, that's always going to be there with us as parents. We, are, we always want to show off the abilities of our children, right? We're always asking them, tell us this, say this, do you remember this? And we have them quote different things. And again, some of that kind of decreases as, uh, you know, we're still going to do it. But again, it might not that 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 self-generated or when children just start to kind of do this on their own, that really that really diminishes as uh, they become two and a half and closer to three. So I hope that that helps you kind of sort that out when jargon and echolalia are typical so that as SLPs we can recognize that and talk to parents and say, you know, jargon here really isn't problematic because this is when I anticipate, even if that language explosion is later. So we know that in late talkers, they're not going to have their explosion between 18 and 24 months. It's going to come later right? And so even if we saw that at, say, three, where we a child has finally gotten enough single words to be able to combine those words into phrases, but then we start to hear a lot of jargon, and we can say to a parent, you know, 
this, or especially if a parent brings it to your attention, you know, what is this? I've heard that this is kind of associated with autism and this scares me. And you can say, no, 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 no. We're hearing single words mixed in with this and this is when he's he's in he's ready he's got enough words in his core vocabulary to be able to generate some phrases and uh, short sentences on his own and he's he just doesn't have all those filler words yet so this is what he's doing he's trying to get that this is actually a positive predictor and so talk with parents about that but if you don't know those things if you don't know those factors that we just talked about with what differentiates or what uh, what it looks like in typical language development, you're never going to be able to explain it to a parent. So let's just for the sake of making sure that we get it right, let's talk about now the factors that really differentiate typical jargon or echolalia. And here we don't really think about it as echolalia there. We think about it as what? Imitation. What factors separate that between uh, typical language development and atypical language development? And it's just the same things that we talked about, but we just want to, I just want to make sure that you own this information so you can explain it to parents. And so when a child speaks in jargon, so mostly those jumbled, unintelligible phrases or sentences, you know that it's that long because you hear all those syllables and you think they're, you, you think that if you were putting all that together, it would be a phrase or a sentence. When a kid does that after his second birthday, that's when we know that this is atypical language development versus typical. And, you know, even in the example that I gave before, when I said our little language-delayed friends who might not start using some jargon until later because that's when they've gotten their their uh, vocabulary is big enough to start to want to do some combinations there with phrases and sentences. That's still, we can still think about is that that's atypical. And why could we think of that as atypical? Because it's late, because it's, it's a delay there. And so it's, it's, Typical in that it's the phase that we would expect to see in language development, but still you can think about it as atypical because it's beyond that child's birth, second birthday when we would have expected that to have already happened. The second factor here that we can look at to differentiate typical versus atypical jargon or echolalia is how much of that is just simply repetitive. And so we talked about this before with self-stimulatory uh, words or self-stimulatory phrases, something that a kid says over and over and over, and again, it's that self-stimulatory piece, is not directed to anyone else, which is actually the third thing that we're going to look look for there. So well, let's talk about these two together. So if it's repetitive, we again know that that's the the big thing with autism is that kids like to do the same things over and over and over. So things that they can say, so their words, ways that they can use their bodies, so their body movement, so that they might hand flap or pick their skin or uh, rock back and forth on their feet or their bodies, whatever they do with that. And then certainly a repetitive way that they can use objects. So maybe they spin toys instead of playing with toys. Maybe they repetitively open and close doors in your home or play with the light switches, you know, beyond what a typical toddler would do. So it's that repetition, that need to do the same things over and over and over. And that's a big marker for autism. And so the same thing can happen again with speech with jargon or echolalia. So when you hear the same things over and over and over, like digga, 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 and I can't even say it as fast as some of the little guys that I've heard say that, and that's kind of a, a kind of an example that lots of S SLPs use, and that's certainly an example of jargon, but it's repetitive because it's the same syllable there, and they do it over and over and over. And as a parent, you might 
keep data on that and think, gosh, I've heard this 300 times today. Well, that's when you know <laughs> that it's really crossed over and it's not as, as part of that typical language development when they're trying to just make that leap to phrases. This is something else. It's, self, it's uh, self-stimulatory and, again, an atypical thing that we would see with jargon. And the thing that I said, too, this third part of this, no regard for anyone else. And remember how when we were talking about typical repetition or typical imitation in uh, language development when we've asked a child you know can you count to 10 Will you count to 10 in Spanish will you will you sing happy birthday for me those kinds of things that would be normal when a child does that but when a child lapses into that with really no regard for anyone else he's not looking at mom for her response he's not looking at dad like hey wasn't that cool did you hear me do that he's not doing that he's just saying that for his own pleasure that's how we know again that it's atypical versus typical there's usually no eye contact with that there's no interaction there's no again looking that social referencing looking at that other person to see if there's some kind of response another uh, factor here the fourth one is that a child doesn't use any recognizable or real words mixed in with that jargon and so we talked about that a lot and that's something that you as an SLP or a developmental interventionist or whatever you are <laughs> that's certainly something you could listen for as you're listening uh, for when children are using lots of jargon can I recognize this does this sort of sound like something else and is there a real word in there and again that really helps you distinguish that uh, in a child and especially if you're kind of looking at jargon and echolalia as one of your diagnostic factors where you're really thinking is this just a language delay or some other kind of language disorder versus autism so that's certainly something that you can look at and then the last one here and this is a big one is what a child's saying advanced compared to what he seems to understand. So let's kind of break this down because so many times parents are so confused about this and they will say, I d- my child seems so bright. My child is so, has, has skills that I've never seen another two-year-old have. I mean, she can, her memory is so good. She can just remember something from a movie that we watched two or three weeks ago. And I'll think, what movie was that? I know I've heard that somewhere. Where is she getting that from? And so they, that's, that's their child's strength. But then there are all these other things that really confuse a parent because a child may be able to do something like that, but then not follow a command like, go get your shoes. Or a child who's so verbal like that may not be able to answer a question even using a word that might be in her her echolalic vocabulary and so even if she says a quote or says something with the word banana in it but then she can't go in the kitchen and her mom says what do you want to eat and she sees the banana right there and her mom might even be holding it up but the child just flips out because one she can't recall the word banana when she needs it as a single word she only uh, has it as a chunk which we'll talk about in just a minute or um, you know just that she can't request the pragmatic piece is missing and so those kinds of things are so confusing to parents and grandparents when you see a child who has some obvious verbal strengths I had a little girl one time that could sing happy birthday in four languages and her mom could say you know, let's do it in Spanish and kind of start it there. And let's do it in what I've forgotten. I saw her so many years ago. I don't remember the other languages, but she could do it. And again, this was a little girl who could say all kinds of things, could count to a hundred, could recognize letters of the alphabet, you know, when her parents, and then she started sight reading. She was hyperlexic too. 
And so she had all of these advanced kind of verbal and visual identification skills, but she couldn't follow a lot of directions. She couldn't use a lot of single words to request things. Like if you asked her, do you want cookie or cracker? She said, do you want cookie or cracker? She was echolalic in that she repeated the request. And a lot of times we'll see that with other kids too, who aren't quite so verbal. But they'll repeat, cookie or cracker. And, we, you know, they don't understand how to make a choice. They just know that you, they, they can repeat that. They can say what you said, but they might not even be able to select cookie versus cracker when you put it out and say, get the cookie or get the cracker. They might not even be able to receptively identify those things, yet they can say it. So when we see a child whose expressive skills far outseed his functional language, how he, how he interacts in everyday life, whether it's following commands or identifying uh, objects or items or just what, whatever little receptive language milestone that you want to use there. There's such a gap there. And so that's a real big differentiating factor, too, between what a kid can say and what he can actually use. Now, let me say, too, we do have a lot of verbal kids who are typically developing who can do things like quote the Pledge of Allegiance or quote Bible verses or or something that they they don't understand all of the words but they can they can quote them so don't you know but they're still following directions and they're still playing really well and they're still doing a lot of they're still asking for things that they want every day so don't get so hung up on what I'm saying about echolalia that you think well that's not quite right because I, I've heard a child I have a friend next door who has a little girl the same age and she's quoting things like this too but you look and what else can she do is her is her everyday language uh ability is is it is it well below what we would expect to see for a child who can say these things or is it about what we would expect for a child her age so that's certainly uh, something that you can do too so look for those differences look for those gaps all right so we've talked about our background here we've talked about what jargon and echolalia are in typical development and in atypical development and now let's get to the most important part <laughs> which is what do we do about it how do we address jargon and echolalia in children Children with autism or markers for autism so that we can um, properly or or what's best practice for this and pardon me while I take a drink all right so the number one thing that we need to do and some of these things the first couple of these things are things that that we fix <laughs> things that we do for us as adults because as I say all the time in my treatment manual let's talk about talking you have to change yourself before you start to change a child. And as a therapist or as a parent of a child with autism or suspected autism, that is such good advice because before we start working on what we're going to have this child do, we need to think about the differences that we need to enable in our own uh, our own thoughts as we think about this and our own actions with the things that we're going to do. So let's talk about what we need to get right as the adult, the changes that we need to make first. And the first one is really something that all of us need to consider for every child that we work with. And so when we're, when we're hearing a lot of jargon and a lot of echolalia, we need to really stop and think, what's the purpose here? Now, our ABA colleagues do this so well. They just really, really are trained to really think, what is the purpose? Why is this child doing this? What is the motivation here? 
Why is he doing this? What does he get from this? What is that? So that's certainly something that we want to try to do and try to distinguish as SLPs and other early intervention professionals and parents too. Why is this child using this? Lots of times kids lapse into jargon and echolalia uh, when they are overwhelmed. And so it's self-stimulatory in the way that it helps them calm down. And so start to really look at that. Start to see when does he use a lot of echolalia? When do I hear this is it when he's anxious is he is he scared that we're about to go somewhere new that he doesn't he's unfamiliar with have I asked him to do something that's just so challenging for him that it that it again it, I'm going to use the word anxiety again it it provokes anxiety in him anytime we see that with kids we can also see echolalia and jargon with kids who have markers for autism when their physical systems are stressed so when they're tired when they're hungry when they're sleepy they're doing self-soothing behaviors and so you might think about it it's the same thing as sucking a thumb or the same thing for some kids as their little lovey or wanting to go just sit by themselves for a minute and kind of check out so that's what echolalia is is for lots of kids with autism and so we think about that and we think not which is the second part how can I stop this how do I prevent this jargon or prevent this echolalia and I'm going to say this right now and I'm also going to say it later so you remember it you can never eliminate a behavior without replacing it with something else anytime we take something away and this is true of all of us from the time that we are children to the time we're adults you know a lot of uh, times with let, let's just think about it from a habit perspective when you stop when an adult stops smoking a lot of times what else do they do maybe they start to overeat and that's why we see weight gain when they would stop smoking because they replace that oral behavior or that's why that nicotine gum is so popular not only only because it provides the chemicals that make your body feel like you're still getting the same little bump that you get from smoking, but it gives your mouth something to do. And so the same thing with jargon and echolalia. We're not going to be able to eliminate it. We've got to replace it. And so we're going to talk about this as we go, but I want you to really think about that with, uh, even under this first uh, strategy here, we, we've got to address what's going on. So when we see that a child is overwhelmed or overstimulated, we need to do some things to help that child feel more comfortable and to help that child regulate, which is a word that I use a lot, that a lot of times when I say that parents, I had a, had a couple of moms last year that said, I've never thought about that in that way. I've never even used that word in that way, but it's exactly what has to happen because he's so worked up that he's got to get back to normal before I can get him to do anything else. Or He's so checked out. He's just he's just totally done. I've got to really bump him back up to normal before I can expect us to move on to anything else. And that was so wise for both of those parents to say about two very different children. And so that regulation piece, you kind of get got to get kids pulled back to normal. And so when you start to see, hear a lot of jargon and echolalia, know that that's something that you may have to address. All right, so that second strategy that I've already mentioned, we need to change how we view jargon and echolalia. And we talked about this as a, a part of trying to replace it or eliminate it. Let's just change it and look at this as a positive rather than a negative. Now, some of you might be saying, if it's in the official diagnostic criteria for autism, how can you think about this as positive? 
because the child is talking. (laughs) He may not be using language like we want him to. We may not be able to understand anything that he is saying yet. It may not be meaningful, which we're going to talk about a lot in the next little uh, strategies. But at the same time, he's still talking. And that's a lot better than not talking at all. Ask any parent of any child who is two and three and four and five. And if they could hear any kind of verbalization any vocalization they would take that and they would know instinctively that is better than than nonverbal and that we are on the right track we are on the way it may not be where we want it yet but the child is talking and so that as that's something that we as a professional maybe can share with parents who are upset by the level of echolalia that echolalia I'm, I'm butchering that word I so apologize for that that's just must be a hard pattern for me today uh, but we, we can certainly talk about that and let me give you some research to back this up 85 percent of the of people with autism who have gone on to talk and gone on to become functional communicators meaning they process language and they talk back so they're conversational language is the way that they communicate they do not have to rely on another kind of system 85 percent of those people have echolalia as part of their history so when you think okay 20 to 30 whatever percentage that you want to want to look at of of people with autism don't talk at all and so then when I have a child who's echolalic who's not really functional yet but look at it as a step in the right direction because they are verbal and so that's what I want to leave you with that too and because of that because we know that it's actually a predictor that a child with autism can go on to use language functionally, uh, we need to look at that again as uh, just a really, really, really big positive uh, prognostic indicator for those kinds of kids. So that also leads us to if it's positive, why do we want to stop that? Why do we want to eliminate that? And again, we can't ever eliminate a habit or a behavior without replacing it with something else. And so this is, this is something that we're going to talk about as we uh, move forward with these strategies. But as an SLP, you may have to actually increase those echolalic utterances before you're going to replace it with spontaneously generated words. And that makes a lot of us nervous because we think, why am I going to teach him to say more things that are really learned in chunks, more things that really sound echolalic or sound out of place? It's because that's how he learns. And that's this is a big reason that we would never try to eliminate or reduce echolalia in that sense. We Before we can do anything else, we have to think about how kids with autism learn language and how they learn language differently. And then we've got to adapt our treatment methods to this. Now, this is really hard for an SLP like me. And maybe for you too, if you follow a developmental treatment model and you think you hear all these sentences that are totally non-functional from this child and you think, what am I going to do? I've got to get down here with these single words. I know that kids need to learn single words and they need to learn what these single words mean. And we, that's how we build language. We build it you know, from the foundation up. Yes and no. (laughs) We've got to get these kids, again, we've got to meet them where they are. And they are telling you that they do learn in chunks or gestalts or uh, however you pronounce that word. And I've heard SLPs just pronounce it so many different ways. It's kind of like the dysphagia, dysphagia, uh, that whole kind of thing. I think it sort of depends on where your professors went to school. But when I went to grad school back in the late 80s, early 90s, we did not 
this wasn't a word that we talked about because we didn't even talk about autism. So if you're over 40, 45, 55 like me, that's a word that you didn't really use or know. But it's so important because this is how kids with autism learn. Now, some typically developing kids also learn in chunks. So it's not always associated with autism, but it is uh, it is different. So it is a, a language difference. Or if we want to look at it technically, um, you know, it, it's it, it's it's part of, uh, well, I'm not even going to say that. It's it's just a language difference. And so we have to meet kids where they are. And, also, and we're going to talk about this as one of the strategies. We may teach them more echolalic phrases, more chunks, because again, we just want to increase what they can already do. And we want to meet them where they are, and we want to feed into what their language learning strength is. So that was the second one. We're going to change how we view jargon and echolalia. It's a positive indicator that a child will become a functional communicator. We're not going to try to eliminate it. We're not going to try to replace it. As a parent, you have to stop yourself when, when your child is going to lapse into his own little monologue. I had a parent one time who called his uh, her son's things like this soliloquies. So when he lapses into that, you know, you Sometimes you want to say, stop, 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 stop saying that. Stop talking about that. I don't want to hear that. You don't really want to do that again. You, you want to think about it as positive. He's talking, and we actually want to hear more talking. Uh, so, so that's something to think about there. All right, so let's, fo- let's move and uh, talk about the next thing we're going to focus on, which is helping a child learn to understand and use words, not just say words. So remember a minute ago, and in previous shows, We've talked about how we'll often see that gap between expressive language and receptive language. A child can say more than she can understand. And we talked about how that's completely opposite in typical development with toddlers. They usually can understand a lot more than they can say. So because of this, when we hear jargon and echolalia, and especially when there's that gap there, when you think, I cannot believe this child can say all of this, yet he cannot do these things. When when the talking is just really a splinter skill, we know we've got to back up and work on that receptive language piece and work on that language processing piece. Now, no other discipline or field in uh, the therapeutic world owns receptive language like speech language pathologists should. So if you are an SLP and your primary focus is always on talking, I just want to reach in the camera right now and say, stop it. You have got to focus on helping a child understand words before he even has a shot at using those words. And never is there an example more clear to us with this than when a child is echolalic, when they're saying all these really, really advanced things, yet we're not really seeing that functional evidence that they understand language because they're not following simple directions in their everyday routines. So we've got to focus on receptive language, which might mean you as an SLP saying to parents, listen, we're not going to focus on what he says at all. We're going to focus on what he understands, and we've got to see him do things to demonstrate that he understands. So many parents will say, I know he understands it. He he just won't do it. And so then they're looking at receptive languages. They're looking at their lack of, of follow-through or following directions as something that that child can control. They're looking at that, that it's a real behavioral problem. So they're treating this child like they're oppositional or defiant rather than, hey, there's a big, big 
gap here. This child does not understand words or understand language as well as he should. And so that's the real problem. That's this core issue here. And so we've got to really focus on receptive language with just as much vigor and attention as we do expressive language. And for some some parents, and even for some therapists, this might be you as a therapist, you might say, gosh, all my treatment plans are all focused on expressive language. Why am I not writing receptive language goals? Why am I not talking about this as much as I should with parents? Why do I have this kid with echolalia that I'm trying to get to talk and say these other things when he can't even uh, follow a direction like, where's the ball? Go get the ball for me. And so as an SLP, you've got to fix that in your own mind and in your own practice. And you've got to fix it to the point that you understand it well enough to explain it to a parent and get them to buy into that so that they're going to focus on receptive language too. Now, the second part of this, if you're following along with your hand out. Focus on helping a child learn to understand and then use words, not just say words. So this is our pragmatic piece. And we talked about pragmatics a lot back in show. I meant to look it up. It was the show about treating expressive language. So gosh, probably three or four shows ago. So go back and look at that, probably show 409 or so, 410. Go back and listen to that section with expressive language and how we talked about semantics, which is vocabulary and syntax, which is the form. And then we talked about pragmatics and that's language use. So not that a child can just say a word. And I gave this example before, a child who might who might say the word banana in the middle of one of her echolalic phrases, but then she can't go in the kitchen and ask her mom for a banana. That's a pragmatic problem. She doesn't understand how to request. And so for those kids with autism, and uh, frankly, if we're seeing them at two and at three and at four, they probably have pragmatic problems, and that, that's a big part of autism. We're going to have to really focus on that too. And go back and listen to that show. And you're going to have to set up situations so that they can not only say the word, but use the word. And a lot of our little friends who are on the spectrum who are verbal can label, label, label all day long. But if you look at it, that's really their only pragmatic function. And again, parents aren't going to understand that because they're going to say, well, I know he can say milk. I hear him say it when when we're going through his little pictures or when we're looking at his little leapfrog toy or when he's playing his game on his iPad. He says the word milk, so I don't get why when we walk in the kitchen and I'm trying to make him say it, he won't say it. And again, they think about that he's just being stubborn or they might think he's just being autistic. And so you have to really help parents through that and say, this is a language problem. This is a pragmatic problem. We have got to set this up where we teach him how to request. And you might have to do that non-verbally so that he learns that that action before he can pair his words with it. That's why PECs work so well. You might need to go back and listen to that show about AAC and think about how you can get pragmatically, how you can get that nonverbal requesting going before you would want to really tackle the verbal piece. So that's 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 a big one for SLPs. And it's important for parents to understand too, so that you are just not on your therapist all the time about what does he say? How, how's he talking? Why is he not talking? Why is he not talking? Why is he not talking? When really it should be, gosh, I need to work on helping him understand words. And that that's my part as a parent. That's, that's my part. I can work on this at home. I can help him learn what words mean. I can 
show him the ball and say ball and get him to go get the ball and bring the ball to me. And we can play lots of little games like that during the day where I know that he's listening to me and he's understanding me and that he follows through with what I've asked him to do. And that was a big part of the receptive language show too. So if I'm saying all these things that you think, oh, 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 that's a good idea. Take some notes so that you can go back and listen to that because these are the strategies, the receptive language strategies and the pragmatic language strategies that you need to do long before you're going to use the next strategies that we're going to talk about with uh, jargon and echolalia, how we, how we replace that. So, But think about that. The receptive piece and the pragmatic piece have to come first. All right, so let's move on. Now, those were the things that we were going to do, the first three things as adults that we're going to change about ourselves. So let's move on. Actually, this next one is too. This fourth one is, is something that we have to do too. When, and this specifically relates to jargon. And remember, we, what did we say about jargon? It's unintelligible. So we don't know exactly what a child is trying to say. So that's one of the first things that we want to do is listen carefully to that jargon. Are we identifying patterns? And what did we say about that? We said when we hear repetitive patterns, that's when we think, oh, this is more atypical than typical. So it lets us kind of know that. And the second thing that we want to do here as we're listening carefully is see if we're hearing some words. And lots of kids with autism seem like they're using jargon when they're really using echolalia. And when we have careful listening with that, and especially when we pay attention to the prosody or the melody, we can start to pick up, oh my goodness, I think he's trying to see, say this, you know, so something like to infinity and beyond, like Buzz Lightyear says in Toy Story, you might hear a, a kid go, ah, uh, ah, that might be her version of to infinity and beyond, and so you've got to really put some careful listening ears on there so that you can hear it and interpret that that's what she's trying to say here and so many times with kids with jargon too we we help them gain some more skills and thank goodness maturation happens so that they start to get a little more just um, that speech development so they can use some different sounds and we do start to say oh my goodness I think he's saying that and he's been saying that for weeks or months <laughs> and I didn't know what he's saying or you might be watching a show one of his little favorite shows with him and you'll hear him and you'll think oh he's singing that song I didn't realize that was that so do some careful listening there uh, with especially with that intonation so that you can recognize maybe this jargon is echolalia but when you're doing that when you're doing that don't always think it's meaningful because a lot of times what's happening with echolalia is that a child is just mentally rewinding what he heard on that show or he's thinking about when you read him that book. And a lot of times, again, remember we talked about context. Now, we can do some things as SLPs and as parents and other therapists to try to make it fit the context. And we're, we're going to do some of that. But when we are listening to that, we can't think. He just said to infinity and beyond. That means that he wants to go swing because he wants to get in the air like Buzz Lightyear. You know, that is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but as parents, 
We do that. And as therapists, we do that. We fill in those blanks. We try to make all these things. A parent will sometimes, or and I've heard therapists do this too. I'm not knocking parents. And as an SLP, goodness knows I, I have done it too. And, I, and we have our positive rose-colored glasses on. So we want to see everything that this child is trying to communicate. But when we're hearing a lot of echolalia, one of the first things that we can do is just say, this doesn't really mean anything yet. I am so grateful that he can talk. This is so positive that I'm hearing these words, but I'm not really going to try to interpret too much into this yet other than, gosh, this is a positive indicator that something is coming out of his mouth and this is going to sound like words eventually. So that's really something that we need to do. And as an SLP, you need to walk parents through that and try though with the interpretation piece try to pull that back when you can not to steal their dreams and again a parents will know children so much better than you all the time <laughs> because they live with them and they do know their little uh, idiosyncratic behaviors their little quirks they do know those things better than you will but sometimes we do have to help a parent saying you know I don't I don't think that's meaningful yet I, 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 I think we're on the right track for talking here but I don't think we can really ascertain any particular interpretation from this yet let's hold back on that a little bit and so par parents will kind of they'll they'll appreciate that maybe not in the moment <laughs> But as they start to really think about it, um, they will. They will. All right. So the next strategy, this is going to be strategy number five. And let's let's move on to really talk about echolalia here because we talked, we we know what we're going to do with jargon. We're going to listen for any real words or because that's going to let us know, gosh, this is more typical than I thought or, or better than I thought. We're going to listen to see if there are repetitive patterns too that we can tell, oh, this is just really self-stimulatory. That's what we're doing for jargon. So the rest of these strategies relate to echolalia. So what are we going to do here? The first thing we're going to do is, and again, as an SLP, you may, this may be new to you. And when I first started reading about this years ago, I think I wrote the little ebook, Is It Autism, in 2015 or 16. When I first started reading this information and really thinking, you know, I want to be a pro at treating autism here, this strategy was really, really uh, something that I didn't think about, but repeat what a child says back to him, even if it's echolalic. So if he is counting or saying the ABCs, you might do that. But if he's saying something like, Chase is on the case from Paw Patrol, or whatever phrase, whatever, uh, ever tidbit your child or a child that you're working with says, a lot of times we as SLPs don't want to repeat that back to them, but we should. And it's the same thing with that, how we talk about with imitation. The more a kid hears, the more you're going to model. Same thing here. We want to increase these verbalizations. We want to get him just as verbal as he can be. Again, only as meeting him where he is. And even if we know in our heart of hearts, this is not meaningful yet. He's just lifted this. We still have to know what we talked about with our earlier strategy. This is how he learns language. So this is one of the ways that we get those imitation and that reciprocity going. We are going to imitate the echolalic phrases that the child says. And this is the beginning of starting, again, the conversations or the reciprocity piece. And so as you're doing it, though, remember, you're not going to take his phrases literally. You're not going to just because he says something like that, you're, you're not always going to, you're still not really assigning meaning yet. We're just going to get that reciprocity going. The next 
strategy that we're going to try. We're going to bump it up a little bit. Oh, let's talk about this before we do that. We're going to model all phrases exactly as the child should say them. And this is hard, too. And I've written an article about this at Teach Me to Talk, so I don't want to repeat all of that information, but I will link it there in the post below. Or if you're listening on your podcast app, go to Teach Me to Talk and search Echolalia. Um, there's, uh, the first part of the article is the, it's a two-part series. The first part of the post is Echolalia, what it means, and then it's what to do about it. So there's some really practical strategies in there that as an SLP you can pass along to parents and just things like if you have a child who's really really uses echolalia a lot you're not going to want to use their name very much because they're going to repeat their own names and that sounds kind of odd especially with greetings and closings so if you're saying something like bye Jack and they echo bye Jack instead of bye Laura or bye mama that sounds a little odd and so again you want to say everything exactly as the child should say it. Remember that children, again, are going to repeat. They're not going to be able to reverse pronouns. So when you say something to a child like, do you want me to hold you? He, his request then is going to be what? Hold you, hold you, hold you. He's not going to be able to reverse that, that pronoun there. So it would be better for you to model, hold me. And again, you can do the question intonation because you want him, um, you know, you know, you can do that as that that's that's an early requesting thing that children do. And so just think about that. Uh, that also helps you avoid early mistakes. And again, as an SLP, I'm sure you've experienced this with a child that you're working with who has echolalia and you he repeats things that you don't intend for him to imitate. Uh, so just think about that and talk to parents about it. But pros mess that up all the time. Uh, uh, we as SLPs, you might have not stopped yourself from saying something like good job or good talking. And then it's, it's atypical for your little four-year-old friend to say something and then say good talking. And so you want to eliminate those, uh, those phrases or those kinds of things that you repetitively say that a child that you might not even realize that you say. And so uh, think about those things and, and model all phrases as the child should say them. Okay, the next thing we're going to do, we're bumping it up a little bit more. This is where, and, and again, uh, we are increasing, um, just increasing our verbalizations here with the child. So we want to do what we can to use a child's existing holistic phrases purposefully. And I haven't used the term holistic phrases a lot here, but we think about holistic phrases as words that kids learn as chunks, so more gestalts. So I did it. I got it. Where'd it go? Give me that. Uh, I want more. Uh, those kinds of things that kids, and, and again, kids on the spectrum, a lot of times we will hear, when, a, when we do an evaluation and we'll say to a parent, what does she say? Tell me what she already says. And you're going to hear all these little phrases. And earlier in your career, you may have been fooled by that when you first got out of grad school and you evaluated a child and you heard all these little phrases and you just went ahead and started checking her off on the 24-month level without thinking, this child never uses any single word spontaneously, or she only uses single words spontaneously as she labels. Yet she has, and again, we're kind of mixing here intervention and diagnostics. That's a real big diagnostic indicator when we have a child like that. Remember, because we said what? In autism, a lot of times a child's expressive 
skills exceed their receptive skills and how that's completely opposite from typical development. So what we want to do here is take any little phrase that they that they use, any little holistic phrase like that, and make it purposeful. And so here is when we say, and, and you can't do it with everything, but you can do it with some things. So when they're counting, you say, oh, you want to count? Let's count. And so you kind of kind of get it in there. And you are sort of doing it after the fact at the beginning, but it will over time start to be more like we talked about with kids with typical development when we're having them show off their verbal skills. So you talk about that and you, you try, you talk to parents about that and you try to work it in and you see what can I do uh, to make this purposeful and, and Part of what we're doing is building on the strategies that we've already talked about. So we've already said we're going to imitate a child's echolalic phrases. And sometimes we'll start to say, gosh, I could really use that here. I could really make that work here. This would make more sense in context. And so you start to add some context and create some context there. And, and that, again, is easier said than done. And sometimes we do think, oh, I'm, I think I'm making him more echolalic here. But really, you're not. You're just meeting him where he is. So, so see what you can do. As a parent, that's something over the next few days after listening to this show, something that you could do is, is write down what your child says that that is echolalic and repetitive and think is there a context for this the next time we play what can we play where we can use this echolalic or holistic phrase and make that work and make that fit so that that's something you can do along with that the next strategy is you're going to match a child's communicative intent with a holistic phrase that he can echo so here we're sort of doing the opposite we're saying or we're doing the, op well, it's kind of the same. We're saying we're going to take, oh, what we're doing here is we're going to take a situation and then we're going to pick a new phrase. Because this child learns in chunks and we hear these holistic phrases and he's echolalic, we are going to select some new echolalic phrases to teach him. And again, this We've talked about how uncomfortable that can be, but you want to do it because you're meeting that child where he is. And so you start to pick these things out. So you might teach some little things like ready, set, go, or one, two, three, when you're ready to play or when you're ready to start a little routine. Or a mom might use ready, set, go for turning on the water in the bathtub. Or she might use ready, set, go if it's problematic to get a child to move from the front door to the SUV to go to school, <laughs> she might start a ready, set, go is, and again, this might not be the best example. You don't want your children running, running away from your house toward the street. You don't want that. But she might use a ready, set, go as, as a little motivating statement to get a child to move a little faster when she needs them to. And so you think, what are some situations when I can take some holistic phrases that this child will probably be able to imitate how could I make this make sense and so let me give you just some examples uh, listed here so and, and these are from the autism workbook and you'll find these in uh, the focus area that deals with jargon and echolalia actually I think it's focus area 11 I think it's the last one we kind of got I've gotten out of order with uh, these last two shows because I wanted to do this show first uh, so another thing that you might do when a child is completing a task you might say I did it or I'll done or again you uh, you are you are taking their learning strength and you're giving them something new to say when he sees something that he likes 
even when he's stemming with something, (laughs) you might try to add a phrase there like, I love it, or that's so cool, or awesome, something like that, that you think that 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 child can imitate. When you're looking for something, you might say, where'd it go? Or where are you? When a child is frustrated or disappointed, you might say, oh man. So anything that you can do to increase even new holistic phrases, or or, or I don't like to think about it as more echolalia, but new little phrases that he can use and that you can start to make those functional. And can you see how that's going to move a child from being completely non-functional with his echolalic phrases to now, gosh, we've got some holistic phrases that make sense that we can use in context. And so remember here, the goal is to give him new chunks to imitate so that he increases his vocabulary base. And here we're expanding his language by using his learning strength, which is by teaching those new chunks. All right, so once we have a child doing a lot of versions or I'm sorry, a lot of new holistic phrases. Now we're going to take his new phrases that he can say, and then we're going to take his old phrases that may not make very much sense in context, and then we're going to do something that Marge Blanc talks about in her book, Echolalia, Moving to True Language Generation, and I'll try to Uh, post that link at the bottom too because it's really excellent excellent work and a great resource for SLPs if you've not read her work what you're going to do is she calls it recombining so you'll take not single words from this they're not at the single word level yet but you're going to take part of their holistic phrases and mix them with a part of another holistic phrase so this is an example from her work and I want to be sure to give her credit for it because I think it's it's such a good example so if a child says let's get out of here and want some more he uses those as holistic phrases you want to take parts of those so you would say let's get some more or want out of here and you might have to write that down you might have to write let's get out of here and want some more might have to write that down on a sheet of paper. If I were teaching this course live, that's what I would want, to, want you to do so that you can see how you are pulling those uh, a couple words from this one and a couple words from this one and how many new holistic phrases can I make here. And again, this takes some work. It can be super challenging to implement, but if you can do that, that is going to be worth your effort, especially when a child seems to be stuck and he can't move on to this next stage. And so this is really really become my backup two point. If I have a kid that I'm working with who's using a lot of echolalia and I've taught him some new holistic phrases and we have parents on board with this and we're hearing we're hearing new echolalic phrases and parents are getting him to do some new ones too where he picks up some new ones from preschool or that kind of thing and then but I'm still not seeing or hearing any new single words he still hasn't started to kind of pop that out and that'll happen a lot you'll increase this you'll start to work on this kind of thing with with kids you and you're also what you're doing at the same time when you're treating these or, or creating these new holistic phrases and matching them to context. The other thing that you're probably going to be doing is working on receptive language. And so you've done a lot of single word work receptively. A lot of times kids with autism will start to imitate those single words at that point. And that's when you should be shouting, yippee, we are on our way. Because then you can really look at more traditional uh, or, or more developmental models. And we didn't talk about this before, but let me say this. A lot of times our friends, especially those in ABA and our friends in other disciplines like OT and PT, and sometimes even educators will do this and parents will do this a lot. <laughs> 
but they will just move on way too fast with those kinds of things and really um really really not recognize again that receptive language piece and not recognizing that they're seeing uh, you know what they should be seeing there too so we have to really really uh think about that and 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 caution them uh when they are doing that all right so when we're hearing these single words, this is how we know that uh, we can, we're ready to move on to this next language level. But when, this is what I was trying to say. For some kids, that's not going to happen. And we have to back up to what uh, we just talked about. We were going to create those new versions of those phrases by mixing and matching. And again, that can be challenging even for a therapist. So if you're a parent and you're struggling with that, really talk to your, your therapist about that and say, okay, these are the echolalic phrases or holistic phrases that we I routinely hear him use. And these are the ones that I'm trying to get him to use. So help me come up with some other ones here. What are some other combinations we can do? And this has become my back up to point where if I can't if I'm not hearing those single words if we're not ready to move on to those those other things yet we know that uh, you know we, we can back up to this point and and uh, teach those new holistic phrases okay this is what I was going to say when I lost my train of thought <laughs> if you ABA therapist will do this a lot and other therapists too they will teach a child phrases and expect that he is really learning those individual words. So they skip the single word phase. And again, this is what was so perplexing to me when I was a new therapist and using a strictly developmental model. But you know what they're doing? They're really using kind of a functional verbal model or a behavioral model where they don't really care that a child understands it or not. They just want him to say it. And they think if I reinforce it enough, he's going to understand it. Yes, that's true, but no, it's not. Because we've got to work on the receptive piece just as hard or as intentionally and as purposefully as we work on that expressive piece. And when we have kids who have been in ABA a long time and they've learned a lot of these little phrases, but they they might just, and it might not even be a phrase, they might just say or sign more for everything because that's work for them, but they don't really understand that that word doesn't always fit and doesn't always work. And so be sure that you're looking at that and that you are thinking about, I want to teach this kid, I'm going to get this kid on the path to truly learning language. I want some true spontaneous language development going on here, not just that he has these little phrases that he's lived it. And when you're looking at this model, and especially when, when I first learned about uh, the author's work that I mentioned before, Marge Blanc, that just struck me so, uh, just, just it, it was just so clear to me that I had been doing it wrong with trying to get these single words in at the beginning rather than looking at these children's learning strengths and then I need to teach them chunks. Okay, but when you get to this point, like I said five minutes ago, <laughs> this is when they are really ready to learn some new single words. But guess what? You still don't have them as single words yet. You're going to try to put them in the middle or really at the ends, you're going to try to switch out a word in their chunks or in their gestalts, in their uh, gestalts, in their uh, holistic phrases. And so here, this is how we help a child deconstruct those phrases back to that single word level. So he started up here at chunks, but we've gotten him where he's gotten enough chunks where he started to kind of move the pieces around a little bit. If you think about it like playing chess, and now we can break it down even more. We'll get him to 
change some of these single words. And I have some fantastic examples of this in the autism workbook if you want to take a look at that. If you have a kid, let, let's, take, let's take a show. Let's take Peppa Pig. And she, one of the things from Peppa Pig, I love muddy puddles. You can switch that out. So I love and you can put different things there with muddy puddles. Now, if you want to be, if you want to try to really stay with, okay, I'm going to have a multi-syllabic word that sounds kind of funny. This kid really kind of still is stemming with what he says. So it might be, I love baby pigs. I love big tractors. I love bubbles. You know, something like that. But you can put single words in there too. Once once they've kind of gotten past that little playfulness with, and again, a lot of these kids will really imitate you. But and, and that's real fun. We talked about the reciprocity, the imitation piece that you get that going back and forth. But you can see when their little light bulbs go off that they start to realize. I'm saying something different here. I'm saying what she's saying, but I mean, I can almost see it on their little faces when I start to think, he's got it. He understands that he's saying a different word there. He's actually thinking about that other word. And so you might do something like this with a little, I don't know, you might even use some, a lot of times we'll just not even use props here, not even have any context. You're just getting a kid to kind of switch it out and repeat that with you. But you might do some things, even in a play routine where you're talking about things you love. You know, I love, if you're playing with pretend food, I love pancakes. I love grapes. I love cupcakes. I love, you know, I love blueberry waffles. Whatever it is that you have there playing with. So that's certainly an idea that you can do too. So what was this strategy? You're not to single words yet, but you're going to take the single words and you're going to put them in their holistic phrases. And again, this is harder to do than just the typical uh, the, the typical way that we work on language development. But when we know that a kid with autism is, is learning and we know, gosh, I want to meet them where they are and I want to make this process just as, as painless for him as I can, this is when these strategies really, really work, even if you have to think about it uh, a little bit. And remember the key with that here is to change the keyword to something that the child also understands. <clears throat> and so I mentioned that with uh, receptive language, we want to be sure that we are teaching these uh, single words, that we're making sure that a child understands words just as well as he can say those words and certainly that he can use them from that pragmatic aspect. And so you want to be sure that when you're pulling out those or, or adding these single words and, and putting them into their uh, holistic phrases here that you're making sure that it's a word that they understand. And then when we get here, Finally, 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 after 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, finally, after those 10 goals, <laughs> then you can move on to, to uh, looking at those more traditional language goals. And I explained all of that, like I said, back in the show that we talked about with uh, its focus area 7 from the Autism Workbook, where then you talk about uh, teaching single words and then and only then is a kid who's used a lot of echolalia really really developmentally ready to get there and so you have to get a child there and then you know we've already talked about that we're going to look at semantics the vocabulary piece what a child not only what he says but what he understands there the receptive language piece and you're going to be looking at syntax then can I get the early grammar what does this word order look like for this child and certainly pragmatics so how am I going to use all that for a child but then that you know that that's where we start as SLPs a lot of times with kids with autism when we really 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 should be looking at these other things first and this is what really makes us 
just own and establish our position as the language teacher. And when we're working with, with, we certainly want kids to have teams of people. We certainly know that ABA is so scientifically researched and supported for kids with autism. So we can't knock it because they kids kids learn that way. They with with uh, ABA therapists so many times they're so on with what they're using for motivation and reinforcement and we can learn so much from them in that regard but this language learning aspect we really own this piece as SLPs and so we need to really be sure that we're sharing this information with other disciplines so that they really understand it and we need to demonstrate to them too that we understand that kids with autism learn language differently and we're not going to just take that standard developmental model that we use with quote unquote, everybody else. We're not gonna do that anymore. We're gonna look at what that kid's language learning strength is and we will adapt and adjust our treatment methods uh, to fit that. So again, when we're talking about with kids with uh, jargon that we're gonna listen for echolalia, that's kind of out there sometimes uh, if you talk to a parent about that or we're gonna teach a child more echolalic phrases that aren't even really functional and then we're gonna start to teach them holistic phrases that are a little more functional and then we're gonna switch the words out and combine and mix up these phrases. We're gonna take part of this and part of that. Other people aren't doing that. They don't understand that. And like we said with our ABA therapists, they're just trying to get the whole phrase there and really link meaning after the fact, after they've taught it and taught it and taught it, it's become automatic. Then we kind of think, okay, because they've said it enough, maybe they'll get it. That doesn't always make sense to me either. So we have to really know that, again, these are the strategies that work. This leads a child to learn to become a spontaneous language generator. I'm not just going to echo what my mom or my ABA therapist or even my SLP says, I'm going to process and understand what those words mean. And then I'm going to be able to use those words myself and pick and choose from words from my vocabulary. And then as, uh, as I said, become a true language generator. So I hope that this show has given you some different ideas for jargon and echolalia. And I think I've mentioned this in every book that I write, but I want to say it on the podcast. Every time I teach a course like this, it makes me better. <laughs> it makes me think Think about, oh, with this kid, I should have done that. And with this kid, I should have done that. But that always prepares us for the next child. So even if you're listening to the show and you say, well, I have 10 years of failure under my belt here because I haven't done any of this right, that's okay. Because when you know better, you do better. So I hope that you'll take the strategies from the show and then move forward. All right, that's all for today. Thank you so much for joining me for this show. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and you've just watched or listened to Teach Me to Talk the Podcast. Thank you.